Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and I'm so delighted to be joined today by Yvette Dion, who is a journalist, an editor, and a pop culture critic. She's the National Book Award-nominated author of Lifting as We Climb, Black Women's Battle for the Ballot Box, a middle-grade nonfiction book about Black women suffragists. A graduate of Bennett College, Dion is based in Denver, where she works as the executive editor of Yes Media. And her debut essay collection is called Weightless. Welcome, Yvette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled, too. I I said this to you before we started recording, but um, it's, it's a special honor because um, we share the same book editor. We and, do. And you were writing... A personal essay collection which is what I'm trying to do <laughs> and so I wonder if we can start out by talking about like selfishly how do you put this all together like I know you have a lot of ideas you write a lot of criticism there's a lot of personal stuff how do you create a narrative arc around um the arguments you want to make that was the toughest part of this book, to be honest. At first, it felt very unwieldy. It was all over the place. That's the way that I felt. And then I personally hired an outside editor to help me structure the ideas and figure out what went where. So what I started to find was I had a lot of personal narrative, but the narrative was in weird places that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And that editor helped me, one, realize that it, it should have a chronological order, like start with childhood and move through my life, and then figure out which parts of the personal narrative, which really feels like the heart of the book, that's the way that um, the editor described it, so which parts needed that heart and which parts could do without it, and then to structure the whole narrative around those pieces so it made more sense. But at first, oh goodness, this book, <laughs> it was such a mess. It really was for a long time. Well, it turned out beautifully. Thank and you. I, I, clearly, when you first sold the book, you had not uh, planned on, on writing this particular introduction that you did. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and, and I want to know how you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm very okay. grateful to have an amazing care team. It's very rare to get a cardiologist and a pulmonologist who specialize in your conditions. Like so, they so what's to- what's the condition and when did you learn about it? Yeah, I have heart failure, which I was diagnosed with when I was 29. So I have left ventricle heart failure and pulmonary hypertension, which is high blood pressure in the lungs, which I discovered when I was 30 or so. Um, and so I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have two doctors who specialize in my conditions and who um, have just really, like they've been mind-blowing what they've been able to do to make me feel as good as I do. In terms of the introduction, it felt like I could not write this book without being vulnerable at the onset. Like I I needed to be honest about my health and like what this book is about. So no one is coming in feeling, you know, like they get halfway through the book and are like, whoa, like this comes out of nowhere. Like, you know what you're getting up front. Yeah. And, and it just so happens that 
so much of your medical condition coincides with this idea that you have repeat again and again in the book, which is that, you know, doctors need to listen better and to to just stop um, assuming that the main thing wrong with a fat person is that they're fat. Yeah, my story is unfortunately not that exceptional or unique. It happens to women. And if you can pound that with race and class and gender, it happens all the time. Like the perfect example I always give is Serena Williams. Mm -hmm. Serena Williams was not believed about having blood clots, although she already had a history of blood clots after giving birth. And if no one will listen to Serena Williams, we don't don't stand a chance. chance. What chance do we have of getting doctors to believe us and to treat us with care and respect? Gifting is hard, but Bombas makes it easy with socks, underwears, and t-shirts that feel good and do good. They feel good because they're thoughtfully designed with the softest materials, and they do good because for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone in need. Bombas makes the perfect gift for everyone on your list, even your pickiest friends and relatives, because their clothes are exceptionally soft and comfortable, and they give back to those in need with every purchase. Bombas socks, underwears, t-shirts, and slippers are cozy upgrades to everyday basics and the perfect gift for everyone on your list, including yourself. Bombas uses materials like premium Pima cotton and ultra soft, never itchy merino wool in their socks and t-shirts and fuzzy Sherpa linings in their slippers. Bombas holiday collection puts a modern twist on traditional festive colors and designs. Think rich purples and greens, geometric snowflake designs, sweater inspired textures, and retro ski patterns. With family sets, you can match with your family and friends in exceptional comfort and style. Hello, frameable holiday group photo. And did you know that socks, underwears, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one item for every item you buy. So far, Bombas has donated over 75 million items of clothing. That's a whole lot of comfort and a whole lot of good. So give the good this holiday season with Bombas. Go to bombas.com slash Maris and use code Maris for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Maris, code Maris for 20% off. Bombas.com slash Maris with code Maris. You you even um, mentioned that fat patients are less likely to go to a doctor in the first place for fear of being judged. Right. It, it becomes a point where if you're a fat person and every time you go to the doctor, what you're facing and experiencing, one second, what are you doing? Stop it, Bubba. Come on. Oh, he's about to lay down. Perfect. <laughs> so when you're a fat person and what you're facing and experiencing is if you go to the doctor for colds, they say, let me touch your blood sugar over and over and over again. And then in addition to that, you're encountering a lot of uh, stigma and bias from your doctor where they're not believing you when you say that you're ill or they're trying to diagnose you as fat. So when you're experiencing that all of that at once, it creates this atmosphere where you don't want to go to the doctor. And if you are going to the doctor, you're in fear of what is this doctor going to say to me? How are they going to make me feel? They're going to weigh me and dismiss me. So you just stop going. 
And so there's a study that I offer in the book where um, women, fat women in particular, stop getting their gynecological screenings. So they develop um, ovarian and uterine cancer at a higher rate because they're just not going. They stop going because of the bias. And it's like, you're getting a pap smear that's like, there's really, it has absolutely nothing to do. Yeah. With um, weight, zero, nothing, nada. Nothing. Um, and, and so that puts you in the position of having to advocate for yourself to an extent that you're right. Like, to advocate for yourself to an extent that most people aren't familiar with. T tell me about like just learning to do that, how to do that, if you can do that. It's so hard. It's really hard because the way in which we're taught in our society is that doctors are all-knowing, omnipresent mm -hmm. geniuses who we do not question. When they tell you something is wrong, you take what they say as law and fact and you abide by it. And what I found is questioning doctors doesn't always go really well, <laughs> they, yeah, uh, which, which is understandable. Like I'm a magazine editor. If someone's trying to question me who has never edited a magazine about how it should be edited, mm -hmm. of course you feel offended. So it, it's normal and natural for them to feel that way. But what I found is I really approach it from a place of curiosity of, can you tell me why you're doing what you're doing? And if my weight is playing a role in that. And so one of the ways I approach that is like, I don't allow myself to be weighed unless mm -hmm. it's related, directly related to weight. Like unless I'm undergoing anesthesia, there's really no legitimate reason why doctors are weighing you every time you go to the doctor. So I just say, I would prefer not to be weighed or I would prefer not to talk about weight during this appointment those are hard things to do because they're just a normal, natural part, or we think is a normal, natural part of going to the doctor. So challenging that order, of course, the worry is they could list you as a difficult patient in your chart, right? Like you're a difficult patient and that follows you from doctor to doctor, oh, Yeah. but the alternative is not getting the care that you need. And so what I've learned is one, you have to find the right doctor. If a doctor is not the doctor that you should have, you'll learn that pretty quickly. Like if you're not vibing with the doctor, you know that pretty quickly. You really don't have to stay with that doctor. So finding a different doctor and then being very upfront. I don't want to talk about weight. If we could avoid talking about weight, I would really appreciate that. And if the doctor is not receptive to that, then maybe they're not the right doctor for you. Yeah. And and and, and so much of this, a built-in challenge there is like anything else under capitalism that um, our healthcare system stinks and uh, switching doctors is necessary, but often very hard. It's um, not the easiest thing to do. It's really hard. Like our, our medical system makes it to where if you get a doctor who's even halfway decent, you want to stay with that doctor until the absolutely. end of time. <laughs> you want to like move heaven and earth. You want to like if your insurance switches, you want to switch with it. And like right. Um, and, and, and that seems like a, a thread throughout this book too. Like, um, you talk about the school lunch program and how it started out as a really healthy way for kids in the U S to, make sure that they have a, a solid meal at lunch 
And um, by the time Ronald Reagan declares that ketchup is a vegetable, <laughs> we can kind of see how, see what America values more than anything. Oh, money above all else, of course. Money above nutrition for children. I think it's really, I was very intentional about including an essay around the ways in which we treat fat children because I think it happens and starts so early. Like fat children don't stand a chance of learning autonomy and having um, control over their bodies and that their bodies are just fine as they are because they're targeted so early and surveilled so early. So if your child's BMI is above a certain amount from the time they start school, they're being surveilled. They're being surveilled by teachers. They're being surveilled by their doctors. They really don't learn at all that they have any control over their bodies. And the fact that children are then blamed for being fat instead of considering the changes that have happened to the, to the nutrition program, the fact that some students can't even eat at school, the fact that we have impoverished parents who are living in food deserts, the fact that we have impoverished parents at all, that there are children who go hungry. And rather than addressing those systemic issues, we target the children and their families themselves. It's really appalling and laying it out to make it systemic, to show that it's not, oh, parents just neglect their children right. or children all should be the same size. These are really systemic issues that if we as a society decided we could address, like we have a presidential administration that's trying to address childhood hunger. It's something we could address and could fix if we cared enough. If we cared more about that than about money and profit. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's interesting you say that, it, I mean, of course it starts so early that fat children are surveilled. But that, of course, is another theme in the book that like being a certain weight seems to make people feel like they're entitled to comment on your body or that, that they know what's healthy for your body and um, police what you eat. How do you, do you have any coping mechanisms here or do you have any advice for people who think they're being helpful? If you think you're being helpful, most likely you're not. <laughs> no really uh when you're a fat person your body becomes public spectacle that's the way that you are treated that you have denigrated your body and treated yourself poor so poorly with the way that you have eaten and your decisions not to exercise which are the assumptions mm -hmm. that you no longer can be a steward of your own body it is up to everyone else to ensure that you assimilate into what i call a thin order and my rebuke of that in this book is intentional because I, I don't believe that everybody is built to be the same. Everybody is different, literally. That, that's the way that we are built as humans. And in order to accommodate that, what I recommend is one, never comment on someone's body. That's, that's yeah, very- that seems- That's the simplest thing. You never know the reason why somebody's body is smaller or bigger. You never know why somebody's body is changing. And the reality is everybody's body changes. Like that, that is, we are humans. We're evolving every day. We're getting closer to death. Sorry. Every <laughs> Sorry to be so morbid, but truly. And everybody's body is going to evolve and change. So commenting on someone's body is never acceptable. And then figuring out how to be in relationship with fat people in a way 
where you are supporting them through their journey wherever they are without making it about their weight. Like we spend enough time, I'm a fat person. I spend enough time thinking about, I really don't want to go to the airport because I may or may not fit in the seat. I don't really want to go to an amusement park. People might stare at me if I have a swimsuit on. We spend so much time in our own minds in that way. We don't need the people who are closest to us doing it for us or projecting onto us or saying anything that causes us to spiral even further in that way. So it's just a matter of supporting fat people. If you know a fat person, support them without making it about their weight. That's the easiest thing that any of us can do. Yeah, and it I think it, it bears repeating and you do repeat in this book quite a bit, but like for those who don't know, dieting does not work. Say it again. <laughs> I mean, and, and so you do say it again. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, it the perception that people have that if you're fat, you just go on a diet and then it's all gone. It's so much more complicated than that. Yeah. So, so dieting is an industry. It's a billion dollar industry. There are people who profit from telling all of us that our bodies could be thinner. No matter what size you are, you could always be thinner. You could be a size four. You could still be thinner. That That is what dieting sells us. The diet industry sells us. And it is so pervasive and prolific that it shows up everywhere. Like you cannot watch cable television without seeing a dieting ad. And it's so normalized. We think it's a normal thing. You can't scroll Instagram without seeing a laxative ad for a tummy tea or a waist trainer that it's it, it invades literally every element of our lives in order to tell us that that's a normal way of being like this is normal it's normal to want to lose weight it's normal to want to change your body all the time and that's not true it's a fairy tale it's literally not true and so the way in which that industry works is that then we think because we've internalized that this is is real we go to extreme lengths to try to conform and to meet this standard so I keep thinking about this medicine that's going around that's like $900 a shot and it's actually for people with diabetes okay so they're driving up the price of a medication a life-saving necessary medication and people get all of these side effects from it I mean vomiting, heart racing, projectile vomiting, heart racing, fainting, passing out, only to regain all of the weight. Like as soon as you stop taking it, you regain all the weight because it's not normal for your body to do that. It's not normal for your body to shed that amount of weight in a month. It's just, it's an abnormal thing for your body to experience. So it tries to go back to its normal state, but that's how far people are willing to go to not be fat. Truly, like at, at the, the baseline, people don't want to be fat. They fear being fat. Mm -hmm. And so they're willing to go to that extreme length to projectile vomit to prevent themselves from being fat. It's just Oof. a sad state of reality. That us. reminds me of when Alester came out in the late 90s. Yeah. And people were like, well, so I'll shit myself a little bit. Who cares? I can have potato chips. <laughs> right, but I can be thin. Or there was that medication. I remember being like a young person, like watching Ricky Lake. <laughs> TV and they had that medication that was killing people. I remember her having fin a fin? segment, Fin Fin, that people were having heart attacks and dying. That's how much people fear being fat in our society. They're willing to go to that extreme. 
If you want to avoid boring, basic, and bland gifts this year, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Here's a favorite thing I found on their site. It's a gift for myself, as so many of the best gifts are. It's a Thera hoodie. It's like a weighted blanket, but wearable, and I'm so glad I found it. Listen, winter's coming and I am ready to relieve my chills and my stress. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches, so shop now before they sell out this holiday. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone, not the same lackluster gifts you could find just about anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash Maris. That's uncommongoods.com slash Maris for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime anywhere, at your own pace. You can learn songwriting from John Legend, improve your writing skills with Amy Tan, or learn how to cook the perfect poached egg from Gordon Ramsay. With over 150 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I loved exploring Chris Hadfield's course on space exploration. I was blown away by the insider access we got into, what it's like to train as an astronaut, especially what it feels like to launch in a space rocket. You see it in the movies all the time, but to hear it step-by-step step was completely new for me. And then diving deeper into how rockets are fueled and how much it all costs. I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash Maris Review today. That's masterclass.com slash Maris Review. Terms apply. Let's let's talk more about TV for a while, because I feel like we've talked a lot about the the most serious stuff in your book, but so much um, of what you talk about is how pop culture portrays fat women, fat black women. Um, and I'm wondering if you could start perhaps by telling me about the concept of the, okay, I'm, I'm now not finding it. Uh, oh, of, tell me about the concept of possibility models. Oh yeah. I love the idea of a possibility model. So I learned that language from Laverne Cox and Janet Mock. And possibility models are different than role models in that role models, the way we think about role models in our society is we project so much onto them. They're supposed to raise our kids. <laughs> you have to be a perfect role model for children, for people who are looking up to you. Possibility models are simply living their lives and you can see within them 
a realm of options for you, like a, a way in which to be, a way in which to, to navigate the world. And for me, like my biggest possibility model as a young person was Queen Latifah's Khadija James on Living Single. Like I wanted to be Khadija James. I wanted to move to Brooklyn and be a magazine editor and live in a brownstone with my three best friends. I wanted to be her and not be her in terms of feeling like she was raising me, like I was a young person watching her, but be that character and, and all of the realm of what that character could be. Like those were all possibilities for me because I saw her. And that's such a powerful thing. Like we say representation isn't everything and it's not, but it's something. It it's, really, especially if you're a young person, it really does mean a lot. And and you speak so thoroughly about where representation, especially in Hollywood, fails us. Um, that even when we get to know a fat character, they are often that often becomes their entire being, their their personality type. That's so disappointing to me. It really is that in 2022, we box fat characters into like three archetypes, right? Where you're either the asexual fat person or you're the comedic relief or you're the person who only shows up to be like the funny sidekick. And that's disappointing to me because I think there are so many fat creators now who are doing such liberatory work that if Hollywood were willing to give them a chance we may get different imagery so one of the the hardest things for me to do in this book was to think about Insecure and to think about Natasha Rothwell's character Kelly on Insecure because I love that show I actually just introduced my partner to the show last night he's like on season three already love that show <laughs> great and also that character is framed as comedic relief it's not until the final season and they have to be killed off for this to happen that they get a character backstory arc that doesn't consider the ways in which their weight impacts their, their dating life. And that's just disappointing in, in this time. That should no longer happen. But what I try to do in this book is be optimistic that it doesn't have to continue to happen, mm -hmm. that there are other ways in which we could present fat characters that is not just like Kate from This Is Us, which is a show that I absolutely love. Kate from This Is Us, like spending the entire series thinking about her weight, being impacted by her weight, everything about her life revolved around her weight. And that's just not the way it should be. Yeah, yeah. I, stop me if you don't want to talk about this, but it, I, a thing that stuck out to me in, in Galley so I got a galley of the book. I haven't seen the the finished copy yet, which means that your job was listed still yeah. at, at Netflix. Mm -hmm. And and most of us know what happened with that, that mm -hmm. it was a huge debacle. Um, and yet, even when you thought you still were working there, you were like, insatiable is some bullshit. Which <laughs> It was. Can you, yeah. Can you talk <laughs> about that just a little? I, I just want to. Um, insatiable for those who did, I, for those who didn't watch the show was about this teenager who they call Fatty Patty, who gets tormented by bullies all throughout high school. 
and finally has this incident with a bully that leads to them having to have their jaw wired shut, which causes them to lose all this weight over the summer. And they come back to get revenge on their bullies in school. And my problem with that show was one, the primary character, not to pick on the actor, but like the primary character had to wear a fat suit to to play this character, which is already a problem. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, um, it focused entirely on like, I lost weight and now I'm going to get revenge on people, Mm -hmm. which is like, fatness is not this sad state of being where all you're thinking about is the life you could possibly have once you lose weight. That's what we've been sold, but that's not reality. Like fat people have to get up every day Mm -hmm. and go to work and be in the world and have relationships and, and think about the ways in which them being fat is impacting their lives. It doesn't look like that. It really doesn't. And I call that out. I, I, before I worked in the, I was surprised they hired me because I was very vocal about hating this show and wishing they would cancel the show. I was shocked that they hired me, but it felt important to include that in the book because even though I was working at that company at the time, I'm still a person outside of where I work and my my perspective and my worldview is very clear. And if I have a problem, I have a problem. And I did, and I do. And I wish they would cancel the show. <laughs> Amen. Um, I, I also wonder, since I've been getting more involved in mutual aid, I really um, took away a lot from the idea that fat people are making guides for each other and watching out for each other. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. The thing about being fat, and I'm actually within fat liberation spaces pretty privileged because Mm -hmm. I am a fat person and I can also still go into a store and buy clothes and I can fit on most airplane seats. I can still go to amusement parks, but the larger you become, the smaller your world is. So you can't necessarily go to a restaurant because you don't know how the chairs are going to be and you can't necessarily go on a plane because you may need two seats and it just becomes so complex and such a maze to find places where you're able to just exist that you tend to to shrink and hide and so there is an app called Algo it used to just be based in Portland but now it's a little wider that literally becomes almost like a green book for fat people. It's like the green book for black people in the sixties and seventies. It's like a green book for fat people of here are the places you can go and be comfortable. Here are the places that you can go and there's a chair that you can fit in. And the fact that fat people do do that for each other is it's a beautiful thing. It is a way of looking out for each other and ensuring that you can go somewhere and have dignity. And also the fact that we have to do that for each other is, is, um, it's really telling it's an indictment of our culture that that's even necessary for sure i mean you even mentioned that michigan is the only state that where it's illegal to discriminate against fat people just michigan just only michigan Michigan. that's wild i i wonder um if you can leave us with a little you do end on on a hopeful note and and so um Tell me about the world that you would like to see or that you think is possible. 
I think it is possible to have a world with enough lobbying and organizing and decades of work <laughs> on the groundwork. I think that it's possible to have a world where fat people can just exist. And that seems like so simple, but it's really revolutionary because we're not allowed to do that. We're just not allowed to just exist. Like if you're a fat child, you go to school and you don't have to run four laps in the gym and you don't get weighed at school when you take your fitness test and it doesn't get passed off to your doctors and to your parents as something to be addressed. And you go home from school and you sit down and watch television and there's a fat character who's not at all thinking about their weight and you don't see dieting ads it, it's changes it changes the game that you can go into a store and purchase clothes no matter what size you are because there is no ideal body type in stores that sort of world where you know like planes are forced like the the FAA forces planes to create seats that are large enough to fit at least the average size body, which is a size 16, that those small things, they seem small, but they really make the world so much bigger for fat people. So we're not constantly having to think about, I wonder if I can go to this restaurant and sit down. I wonder if there's going to be a seat big enough for me. I don't want to break a seat in public. It, it eases the possibility of humiliation and just allows us to exist. And that opens up so many possibilities for what fat people can do in the world. And that to me is important. It's as important as anything else that we're fighting for. Amen. Um, Yvette, before we go, I'm wondering if you can recommend some books for us. Yes, I'm so excited about this part. Um, the books I'm currently reading... I'm reading Drunk on Love by Jasmine Guillory and loving it. It's snowing. I'm in Denver. It is snowing. And when it's snowing, all I want to do is lay in the bed, drink wine and watch and read romance novels. So I'm reading that. I'm also, I'm also reading this book. And let me make sure I get the author right. I'm reading this book called, let me grab it, The Undead Truth of Us. I want to make sure I say the author's name right. Brittany Lewis, Brittany S. Lewis. It reimagines a zombie tale. Oh, and it's so good. I mean, so good. It it injects so much empathy into the idea of zombies. Cannot recommend it enough. And then the last book I'm going to recommend is Nightcrawling. And that author is, let me see. I just finished it. Lila Motley. Oh, it's so good. It's a devastating book, but it's it's well worth your time. Highly recommend I love it. Uh, the book is called Weightless, out now. Yvette Dion, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.